I'm Nietzsche. And I'm Kelsey. And welcome to the Intersections of Friendship Podcast. Inspired by lifelong learners, we explore informal and formal education and what it means for us to want to continue learning. Lifelong learning is both subjective to the environment you're exposed to currently and your understanding of how learning can be processed beyond just being taught something in a a classroom setting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I actually feel like, I hate to say it, as much as many baby boomers are stuck in their ways, they're probably better lifelong learners than we are though. Even Generation X. I'm trying to remember. Who's the? It might be Generation X. I could be wrong, but I feel like there's a group of adults older than us, maybe in their fifties and Mm -hmm. sixties, who learned by doing whatever group went to like trade school and who learned on the job and got the experience. Being, I feel like that's the baby boomers, right? That's That's the baby boomers. So I feel like they actually. Now they may not be as open to it because of how fast technology has pushed the world along beyond what they're, they may be capable of catching on to. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they're better lifelong learners than the majority of generations right now because they grew up in a time where you either learn on the job to continue to build on the job and progress on the job versus going to school to learn these type of things. So that's why I say I think they're better lifelong learners than we are. Because they understand how to use situations and apply them to whatever they're currently doing, career or per, or personal, mm-hmm. versus what we do. I think that's interesting because I think they're just different learners. Like if I, when I think about, for example, chefs. Chefs are fantastic mathematicians. They are so good at managing time managing weight they convert things um from ounces to pounds to cups to liters all these different conversions and the timing of it is all a math game right and it doesn't require a formal education to be a good chef or to work as a chef um but but technically yes and no I, i guess it would depend on what you consider a formal education Yes, and some chefs do go on to, you know, high, higher education and take a very formal course, uh, but there are also pathways that chefs can take that are more informal, more um, based in mentorship and sort of learning as you go. I think those are formal education pathways as well, though, just different. They're more of apprenticeship, so they are formal. Formal is where I think we're conflicting. I think we have a difference of what formal is. Yes. My opinion of anything formal education is when you learn in a structured setting, period. So I don't care if you have a book mm-hmm. or a mentor or you're on the job. You're learning you're learning in a space where it's being structured for you to learn. That's interesting because I think of formal education as something that has been institutionalized and formalized. Mm-hmm. So you get a certificate, you get a degree, you get some sort of formalized structure structure I wonder if that's the actual can we look that up though? yeah let's look it up the definition Um, of formal education and then I think of what you're talking about I would call it structured education or structured Mm -hmm. learning 
and I would name it specifically like mentorship, apprenticeship, something like that. And then informal, I think of with like reading books, wa- listening to podcasts, watching yeah, the news. Yeah, really like, informal or passive. Yeah, I would actually call watching the news structured because. There's like intentionality behind that. You can tune in every single day. It creates routine. So there's really so formal education is a classroom base provided by trained teachers. Informal education happens outside of the classroom and after school programs, community based organizations, museums, libraries, or at home. But there's that still leaves a gap for when mm-hmm. something isn't classroom and it isn't museum. It's more there's still a structure to it. Mm-hmm. There's still a gap there. I agree with you. I think. So maybe yeah, that's what we'll just call structured education for the sake of what we're describing. Yes. So formal would be classroom setting, structured would be outside of the classroom, but in a space where there's actually still a plan of learning. Yes. And that's more apprenticeship, like you said, or on-the-job training. And then mm-hmm. informal would be outside of both of those realms where you just learn, like you said, nowadays it's podcast and stuff. When I was a kid, it was going to the library and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Let's define terms. Yeah, no, I'm glad there we did that. I didn't know it. Yeah, it's good to define terms mm-hmm. because we often we're stuck sometimes in our bubbles of right. like keywords. I remember talking to somebody who works in international development and he was using all these like buzzwords and keywords and he was like, "It all sounds ridiculous now that I'm explaining it." And I was like, "No, it's actually you're describing the exact same thing. It's just when you use." development we use um community enhancement but that's across industries too and and that's what i'm saying it was so interesting and i think that reflects how industries kind of set up their structure which is important too so on that note taking it back i feel like baby boomers had more structured education than anyone anyone else out of all of us Mm -hmm. you know and I say that because even us now, us millennials, even the education we get in the classroom, whether it be with a teacher, whether it be through tech, it's still very cookie cutter, very formal. Mm-hmm. And while some of us still educate ourselves beyond that, many of us do not because we rely on technology to give us information immediately versus being able to learn and retain that information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are so many different ways, and maybe, at least, I can only speak for myself, but I, education was something that my entire family sacrificed and pushed forward for me. And but that's only formally. For, and that, yes, that's formally. And I've had to expand beyond that. And so I think about, for example, my mom who didn't go to college, she is so smart. And I think the reason she's so smart is that she reads two newspapers a day. She reads books regularly. She's constantly picking up new hobbies. And so I look to her for what to do as an adult outside of the formal education space. Cause I'm like, oh, I have to keep learning. I have to you know, go to the museum. I have to learn art. I have to like keep my mind going and positive and maybe if I had grown up where formal education was always the thing I don't know if I would have had that reference point of my mom constantly seeking what's a new thing yeah what saddens me about that that gap between formal and informal education is that I would put my money on someone informally educated 
with like a dose of how to with the formal part of teaching them how to utilize that information to their mm-hmm. advantage mm-hmm. that's the only thing i think that an informal education lacks how to utilize that information that they gain mm-hmm. to their advantage because we we're american society i don't know about other countries i can't speak on them in american society now they try to belittle you or lessen you for having an informal education yes which of course goes into a mental aspect for a person and they they diminish themselves or diminish their accomplishments Mm -hmm. because of the way that we put so much value on formal education and even structured education versus informal and those are the people I feel as though could win with just a dose of confidence or reassurance in themselves I I 100% agree with you and I also want to Put a, put a pin in that thought to also bring up a parallel stream that I think is important we mm-hmm. keep in mind. And that is who is the one who has power and who is the one that named things formal. Like that is rooted in white supremacy. It is rooted in systems of power and being able to attain the reason different industries have different language was for competition on the free market. And not everybody can use the same terms, and there are there is need for nuanced terms, but there is also a need for competition in a free market. There's mm-hmm. also a need to maintain power and to make it complicated for people to figure out how to move up that ladder. And I but think tech is definitely diminishing that gap. I, I I think they're attempting to. I think tech is going to be the revolutionary gap closer me personally and I don't think so let me tell you why as some as someone who's who's in tech and got into tech informally very informally who taught themselves first before they went on to go to a structured setting when I say that there are so many people who are able to create and build and accomplish now versus in this industry versus any other industry i feel like what started that gap closure maybe in like the past 25 years was music especially like hip-hop and i think that sports brought us closer to that gap right because you had more people making money you had more people influencing those power structures does that make sense you see where I'm going? I see where you're going, and I, I, I'm waiting because I, I disagree. All right, so perfect example. Will you sports? No. Well, music and sports both work. When you looked at music and sports 30, 40 years ago, the exploitation of the minority, and only paying them a fraction of what they were worth, and having control of the entire sports network, which they still technically, majority still do, but now you're seeing more and more minority ownership. You're seeing more and more minority intervention. You're seeing a bigger piece of the pie, even though it's villainized. Like, you know how they villainize an athlete for making $200 million in seven years, but they don't think about the fact that that owner's making $2 billion in seven years? That gap is being closed, though, because you're getting more people who are taking these opportunities and flipping these opportunities into expansion and building and wealth and empowerment. So 
I look at those as the basis of where tech will go next. I'm not saying that we do have a problem with on the bottom level of people just having access to basic technology. But once you get access, no matter where that access comes from, the gap is very much lessened. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, the, so I'm mm-hmm. the reason I disagree is coming from Silicon Valley and watching my hometown getting taken over by tech, it is not the positive that I think it's glorified to be. It wasn't and, at that time. That was eight years ago. So I, I say this to, to say, you know, my experience was not unique in that many women, we were discouraged from going into engineering, we were discouraged you from were. taking math classes, we were discouraged from being science. We were. I worked at Google and always felt like an outcast, always felt like I wasn't smart enough. I was told I wasn't smart enough because the male engineers were better than I was. And so I, I, I bring this story up to say is I know my story is not unique. I also know that it is not the end-all be-all um, and I think it's great and it is starting to close that gap but let's also bring in some economic data where in 2017 from 2017 and 10 years prior so 2007 the wealth of the top 10% of people grew by 12% so the top 10% of people amassed more wealth by 12%. Shockingly, the bottom 60% of our population, if I recall that number correctly, lost 12% of wealth. And so when we think about this gap and people getting up into higher uh, income brackets, it's never far removed from people losing. Mm. And, you know, in Silicon Valley, and I think being from Detroit, there's a there's a lot of similarities. People thought the car industry was going to be it. They thought it was going to save Michigan. They thought Detroit... It did save Michigan. It did, and then it collapsed because they didn't do it intelligently. They didn't diversify the market, and now Detroit is struggling to come back, although people who live in Detroit will argue with that right now, that they're coming back. But they are, but it's taken years. We are not coming back. And if we don't take tech, for example, I think you're right. It has that potential, but it's not being carried out appropriately. Power is still being carried out appropriately in the places like Silicon Valley. And they're going to take over anybody small. Just wait. It'll take 10 years and anybody small will be gone. And I don't mean to be so dire, dire about it, but I, I do worry that if we continue to allow them to have power... I agree. Then, but I see we're not going to allow small businesses. Of how, how exposed data has been, and how I mean, a stupid. I'm sorry, Congress is dumb. They're dumb. I've never seen people ask more stupid questions in my life for something that is very easy to understand. You didn't read your prerequisites. That's how I feel like you went to class and didn't read your syllabus. But <laughs> stupid, you know. We that's a whole nother conversation. I like that analogy. Yeah, read your syllabus, and then you could come in with intelligent questions after you read the chapter that was outlining your syllabus. But um, my point is, it did take something major for them to finally realize, like, yo, we're giving them a little too much power. It's too much going on. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason why I think I had this conversation with. Um, I don't think me and you ever had this conversation, but I had a bunch of friends when Facebook separated their Messenger app out of their. Um, regular app. I said 
I'm not downloading that because there's something, there's got to be something in that messenger app with user privilege that differs from the regular Facebook that's going to be an issue later mm -hmm. on down the line. If you've got to separate it, if you can't use the same user privilege here and there, because you're not making something that's a huge entity that needs to be separated, like it's this big thing and it needs to, no. You're building something so you can get more access to certain things, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the first thing I said. Whenever people start breaking things into pieces and feeling as though they have to manipulate, there's something in the user language, the user usage, mm -hmm. something there that goes beyond the other element thing that you don't want to be a part of until you 100% know what it's about. Mm -hmm. Just like when Facebook opened itself up from being a college to public, I removed myself. I closed my account. Because I was like, that's a different user representation at that point. So now I've got to go in here and figure out what I want people to have access to versus what I don't want. I want to know what you're doing. Every time Facebook shifts, I close my account. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want any of my data being exposed voluntarily. Mm -hmm. But that's my knowledge of how those things work. Same thing with Google, same thing with... Um, I mean, even now, like, Microsoft is buying GitHub, and you may not know what that means, but Microsoft is buying GitHub. GitHub is a, it's, it's an open free source directory that coders and developers, we put our data on, and we all know Microsoft is a big entity power. Mm -hmm. I don't want what I'm doing on their network, because I don't know what you're adjusting it to. Now we're giving a big corporation access to small people's thoughts and ideas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. makes me nervous. So I get what you're saying in that gap. But to get back on track with the informal learning and, and to wrap it all back around, my, my thing is that I really do feel like that generation has a, a better understanding of what it is to learn about things in an environment that doesn't necessarily present itself as a learning environment. Mm -hmm. it's, it's based off of saying, Oh hey, um, this is how you, you do A B C, and it's like oh cool, this is something new. Where most of us would be like, well, I don't even know all that. I'll go have somebody do it for me. I'll find somebody who's capable. Mm -hmm. That's our mindset because we're we're used to a little bit more collaboration too. Mm -hmm. We're not used to having having to do everything ourselves anymore. You know, um, I just look at it. I even, I'll use myself, for example. One of the first things I learned how to do when I first learned to drive, my dad was like, you need to know how to change your tire. You need to know how to check your oil, your tire pressure. You need to know what spark plugs are. He made sure I knew all these entities about a car. And as I got older, I didn't see the need for it because I definitely was always letting someone else do these things. Mm -hmm. But then when I got to the point where people would try to do work on my car, and tell me all this stuff, I'd be like, no, that's not it. No, that can't be possible because that doesn't make sense what you're telling me. Because I informally learned these things, whether I used them or not, I had informally learned enough to be able to make it applicable later on in life. So that's why I say I feel like baby boomers have us on that. Mm -hmm. Because anybody else would be like, well, he's the expert, he knows. Yeah, I don't know. I would question too. Um, and I think bringing it back to like informal and formal education, that you brought up is sometimes I think it's also good to diversify like mm -hmm. you're not a mechanic you're never going to be a mechanic but you have to be able to speak to a mechanic and understand what they're telling you mm -hmm. in the same way you could walk into a museum and appreciate art and music 
depending on what kind of museum you've walked into, um, and being able to diversify your experience as I think what is key to being a lifelong learner yeah. is it's one thing to become a specialist and you can still become a specialist and get your, your PhD for example because that's our formalized understanding of specialty mm-hmm. um, and also be an amazing dancer and yeah. practice yoga or hike and do art and or even like, kind of like us like we have regular jobs but we also work in the fitness industry as well because it allows us to have a balance what I will say on the flip side is um, I think one of the best advice I ever got was no one can know everything about everything but you can but everyone can know something about Mm -hmm. like something about everything Mm -hmm. enough to get to where you want to be or knowledgeable about what it is that interests you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree on that note I'm so excited about community gardens this summer and getting back to my informal space of learning about seeds because I have killed all of my houseplants. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I love gardening. And when I tell you I hate that I didn't really pay attention to really how to garden because I can only grow herbs. Yeah, so um, in college, I built, uh, co-built a um, 10,000 square foot community garden, no, and like, I know how to garden, and I keep killing it. See, I can't, I can't make it live, but I sure can hold a row. I know yeah, that's not bad. No, I, but I can hold a row, I, I will get and I will get the weeds up out of there. I can do that all day, and I can tell you what is not dying versus what is dying, but when it comes to that balance of that water and that sunlight... Houseplants are tough, man. See, I've got toys and plants. They're, they're, they're a little Oh, I hated them growing up. I hated houseplants because they would attract, like, spiders and... Yeah, I had to move some of them outside. Mm-hmm. They attract bugs. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That vegetation is attractive. I have a question for you. Okay. What have you learned informally that you think you apply in your formal life? That is a fantastic question, Nietzsche. I would say... What I learned informally is art, um, and, and I'm using art broadly because I've used different modalities mm-hmm. and frames. Mm-hmm. Um, it was primarily for my healing, um, and art sort of became this thing that I did when I was stressed out or when I was feeling overwhelmed or when I needed to process something I couldn't put words to. Right. And now, I, in my career job, last year used that understanding of art and and sort of colors and putting things together to create micro videos for the first time ever in my organization now i also my creative energy is put towards our digital communications at the gym where i love it i love being able to sit there and like use my creative energy Mm -hmm. and while it's not painting which i still love it is very much the same sort of process for me and bringing out that creativity so that's as an adult was there anything in childhood that you learned informally that assists you formally even now i wish i could tell you but i don't remember most of my childhood really yeah um i understand i remember stories people told me so that's a hard question for me to answer i'll tell you I'll, I'll answer the question too because yeah, I thought about something on my end that made me ask you that question so informally as a child I learned to play the piano oh 
Oh, how cool. Yeah, so I played a ton of instruments. I played piano, I played drums, I knew a little bit of bass because my uncle played bass. Music was a huge instrument in my house. My parents sang all that. Um, so if you couldn't sing, you learned to play. Uh-huh. So I was a player. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what it was. You can't see, you can't hold a note. All right, let's bring that bass up in here. They're going to they gonna be part of this band. But um, That's amazing. What I recognized, though, with playing, and I also played the clarinet, but what I recognized with playing instruments is that when I got to middle school, I was really good at math because I used to use musical information to figure uh, out my math. So I became fractions and things of that nature and counts. Music uses fractions and counts in order like whole notes, half notes, quarter notes. Those things are essentially fractions in math. So even when I got into college, when I was taking calculus and um, like calculus two and stuff, I would musically rotate it through my head. Like how would this sound on the beat? What does this mean in order to figure out those problems? That's so interesting. That's what I thought about like, and that was just informal, you know, in my opinion, you know, even though I had a music teacher, majority of all the music I learned was you build, you know, they would put you in the foundation that you learn to do everything else, you know, being in the band and stuff like the school band. But informally, yes. And then, of course, you know, as an adult, I'm a software developer now. And I started off informally. I taught myself how to code um, around middle school with the basics because you could build your own websites on Yahoo and stuff, like mm-hmm. GeoCities. And then, of course, you know, even building, like, websites for money or updating and customizing websites for money just to make extra income because it was easy to get those type of jobs because people mm-hmm. was always looking for someone to update. So that was the adult informal learning and realizing, like, I really love to do this. So that's why I asked. Yeah. That's so awesome. That's such a good question. I think we all do. And we don't even think about it. Uh-huh. Like something you just learn and you're making it apply on your job or your career or your love. And you don't even realize that you informally learn that thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about what your innate creativity of your natural nature is. I'm talking about things that you literally focused on and built upon. Mm-hmm. with purpose that now is applicable somewhere else mm-hmm. that's such a good question thank you for joining us for this episode of intersections of friendship this is Nt again and we enjoy sharing this experience with you in between episodes you can connect with us via twitter or instagram at underscore x friendship underscore. Additionally, you can email us at intersectionsoffriendship at gmail.com with any of your questions or comments. You never know, maybe something you share may end up on the podcast. Until next time, here's hoping you have an amazing day and we look forward to having you.